I trust that that uh, chorus, uh, simple as it is, reflects uh, your heart uh, in singing the Lord's praises, but also uh, is reflective of your whole life uh, and your walk with God. It's certainly appropriate to, to sing that uh, chorus uh, as the deer uh, in connection with our message this morning, uh, because we're looking at uh, David, who the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. <clears throat> last time, last week, we started a series uh, of messages on the lives of several Old Testament kings. And our purpose in looking at them is to learn from them, particularly how each one related uh, to the Lord, what was it about their walk with God that you and I should uh, follow in their steps? What are some of the things that they did that you and I should seek to avoid by, by God's grace? One thing that we'll discover, if we haven't already, is that their, as well as our, as well as my, uh, actions uh, always flow directly uh, from the heart. It's interesting that the heart is used about a thousand times throughout the Bible. But when the Bible speaks about the heart of the individual, it's not the organ that pumps our blood necessarily, but it's describing that inward part of our being that includes our emotions, our will, our desires, uh, and our motives. As someone has said, it really is the, the, the core of our, our being. And the condition of the heart determines a person's response to God. As we saw last time, Israel as a whole asked for a king to be over them when God was their king. They did that because they wanted to be like the nations around them. And, and so God gave them Saul, who was just like the kings of all the other nations around them. As we looked at Saul's life briefly, we saw uh, that he ultimately had no heart for God. And as a result, God rejected him as king and and chose then David, whom God said was a man after his own heart. 1 Samuel 14 and verse 13. While you might think that that was only recorded uh, in the Old Testament, uh, we are reminded that in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul was speaking in Acts chapter 13 and verse 20, and he was relating the history of Israel, uh, he stated this in Acts 13 and verse 20. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, the son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. And all, all Paul says uh, then is verse 22, after removing Saul, that first king, he made David their king 
And he testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. What was it in David that God could say, now here's a man after my own heart. I step back and I, I think about David and this declaration that God made concerning him. And it really calls me to say, can God say this of me? Can God say this of you? Does he say that of you in your relationship and walk with him even today? Now, some have questioned the wisdom of God and the validity of saying that uh, David was a man after God's own heart. They say, how can God make that declaration when you consider the, the sins that David committed? He was overcome with lust. He committed adultery. He murdered Bathsheba's husband. He covered it up with lying. And if that wasn't bad enough, he took a forbidden census. And the people of Israel suffered as a result. Certainly a, 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 a question that, that I think there is an answer for, and it's this, at least as I understand it. When you step back and look at David's life, or anyone's life for that matter, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the true source and foundation of a person's life, of David's life? In other words, when you look at how did he respond when he sinned? How did he respond when he was in need of help? How did he respond when things were going good? How did he respond when he didn't know what to do? I would suggest to you that the sum total of David's life was that he was constantly relying upon God. His heart was always seeking after him. His desire and his actions were to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But being a human as all of us are, he certainly didn't do this perfectly. When he sinned, he went to God and he pleaded for God's mercy and for things and had to put his pen to paper and write it down and turn it into a song or into a prayer or into a journal that uh, indicated where he was in relationship to God at any given time. Let me take a moment before we actually go into our text for this morning, and, and my comments uh, in our main text, since it is a lengthier passage, will be brief. But I want you to just note out of the Psalms, just several of them that I picked. I started going through them in order, the ones that were written by David, and I didn't get very far because it's like a, I'll be spending all morning just reading Psalms, which isn't a bad thing, by the way, because it's the Word of God. But I want you, as I read these passages, I'm just going to make a comment or two, I want you to see how David's heart is reflected in his words. They weren't just words, they were reflected what was truly coming from his heart. Look with me, if you would, at Psalm 5. Psalm 5. 
And here is a prayer of David where he says, Give words, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to you. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you, and I wait in expectation. What's one of the first things that you do when you get up in the morning? Are your thoughts filled with God, your relationship to him? Do you call out to him in prayer? Do you call out to him in prayer expecting that he will respond to you? And look at verse 7. He talks about being in a situation where he was being pursued and those uh, who were against him wanted to take his life. In verse 7 he says, But I by your great mercy will come into your house. In reverence I will bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. See, in the midst of the struggles and the difficulties and the trials that he was experiencing, he didn't rely on his own understanding. He went to the Lord and was acknowledging him and wanting God's direction for his life. In fact, Psalm 7 and verse 10 captures this in another way. He says of God, my, my shield is God most high. He saves the upright in heart. And he's dependent upon God. Psalm 13 is another example uh, from his writings. Look at these words with me. Psalm 13, verses 3 through 6. Psalm 13, verses 3 through 6. Again, it's a prayer, and he's saying, Look on me and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. David was facing very real threats, life-threatening threats. But notice how he responds to that. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Think about that for a moment. In the midst of his trials, in the midst of his uncertainties, he responds with worship and praise to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Is that my natural response before God? Is that my heart's reaction, if you would, to my difficult circumstances? Or do I become overwhelmed and frustrated and upset? Or do I look to the Lord with praise? Let me have you look at one last passage, uh, and that's uh, Psalm 32. And Psalm 32 was written again by David, and historically it would come after Psalm 51, meaning his prayer of repentance before God after all that happened with Bathsheba and Uriah and that time of rebellion towards God in his life and turning from that sin and throwing himself upon the mercy of God Psalm 32 is really the response that God gave him. And David again took pen in hand and wrote down how God responded to him. And he writes, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man 
whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Can you say that this morning about yourself because you are in Jesus Christ that I am blessed by Jesus Christ in that my sins have been forgiven and because of him I am right with God. He mentions in verses 3 and following that 3 and 4 that uh, when he was in that time of rebellion towards God uh, he didn't have any peace. He didn't have any sense of the presence of God. In fact, it was affecting him physically uh, and he felt as though he was just withering away. And notice then, he responds by acknowledging my sin to you and my, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. There again, the blessedness of forgiveness that comes to us from God who is gracious when we turn to him in repentance and in faith. In fact, he even goes on to say, therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. In other words, he's saying not just have you forgiven me, O Lord, but I'm, I'm wanting others to, to uh, in, in essence, seek you and experience your grace. And notice this. The Lord is speaking and he responds to David in this inspired word and he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you shall go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like the horse or the mule who have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they won't come uh, to you. And God, God's saying to David and to me and to you that I, I want to give you instruction. I want to give you direction. I want to give you help. I want to be involved in your life, but you need to respond to me from the heart and take to heart what I say. In fact, he concludes this psalm by saying, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Sing his praises, worship him, give him thanks. Give him gratitude, for he is worthy of our praise. And you know, you can go through the Psalms and realize very clearly that David had a heart for God. They're seen in his writings. But let me step back and ask the question of myself and of you this morning. What do the writings of your life indicate? You might say, well, I'm not necessarily writing down things on paper, and you maybe aren't. That's okay. I'm not talking about actual words on a piece of paper, but I'm asking, how do you live in relationship to God through Jesus Christ? You know, the Apostle Paul made an interesting statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when he was talking about believers, and he said these interesting words, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tables of the human heart. In other words, what is your, your life communicating out if you are a letter? Is it indicating that your heart is given to God and you, like David, are expressing yourself in these ways, living for God from the heart because you love him and you want to serve him? Does your life and my life point others to 
the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do we end up pointing them away? Well, David's heart for God was seen in his writings. But David's heart for God is also seen in his worship of God. And this is where I ask you to turn, please, to 1 Chronicles chapter 13 through 15. And you'll notice with me that in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, the first six, six verses, David has a desire to bring the ark of God uh, to Jerusalem. He had called all Israel together, and verse 2 says, It seems good to you, and if it is the will of God, let's send word far and wide. Verse 3, let us bring the ark of God back to us. You see, it had been captured by the Philistines in the past. Uh, the Philistines sent it back after God judged them for the way that they irreverently treated this ark. Uh, and then it became uh, 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 sidelined, if you would, for almost 20 years. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the Lord. In fact, if you look at verse 6, it says, The Ark of God, the Lord, who is enthroned before the cherubim, the ark that is called by his name. In other words, the ark represented the very presence of God. And David didn't want it to be outside of Jerusalem and the capital. He wanted it to be at the very capital. It was a unifying thing, no doubt, between the tribes of Judah that had already acknowledged him as king and the others that were, were sort of lagging behind in their support of him as king. So he wanted to bring the ark near him. He wanted the presence of God near him. Why? Because he had a heart for God. And so what they did was they removed the ark, verse 7, from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. And David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, with lyres, with tambourines, with cymbals and with trumpets. It was a joyous celebration. It was worship that was expressive and it was joyful and it was unmistakable and it was a celebration and it was a procession as they're bringing the ark that represented God's very presence into Jerusalem to, to put it in the tent that David had set up. But something happened in route. Look at verse 9. When they came to the threshing floor of Kid, Kiddon, Uzziah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen had stumbled. So the ark was on this cart and, and uh, it, it, the oxen that were pulling the cart caused it to, to be upset and started to maybe topple a little bit and Uzzah reached out and touched the ark to steady it. And notice what the scripture says. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he put his hand on the ark so he died there before God. See, one of the things that uh, wasn't being followed was the fact that the ark of God should never be touched by anyone. See, God prescribes the way that you and I are to approach him, and particularly how we even approach him in worship. We have to be very careful that what we incorporate in our worship of God, whether that's as an individual or even as a body of believing people, that it's not just of our own doing and our own making, because not everything goes, if you would, in worship, as long as you're sincere. 
Uzzah was sincere and didn't want to see that ark upset. And he touched it and God struck him because that was inappropriate for him or anyone else to touch that ark. Verse 11 says that David was angry because of the Lord's wrath that had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place where that happened is called Perez Uzzah, which means an outbreak. He's angry with God. That's kind of awkward, isn't it? Or odd? They were doing the wrong thing, and then he gets angry because God judges. And, and there are people like that today that haven't had a full understanding of the holiness of God that they think it's unjust or not right that God would judge anyone or that ultimately any soul would end up in hell. But that forgets the fact that God is absolutely and perfectly holy and, and we approach him only his way. Interestingly, David, after he had this own bout with anger, then became afraid of God. And I think that that was a good thing. That was a holy reverence for God. And he didn't want to even have maybe anything to do with the ark at this point. And the result was that it was taken, as we see in verse 13, to the house of Obed-Eden, the Giddite. And the ark of God remained there with the family of Obed-Eben in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. He became the caretaker of the ark. I doubt that he touched it. I doubt that he even went near it. But the very presence of God brought a blessing to this man and to his household. And you know, when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, maybe you're the only one in your household, because God's presence is with you, you bring a blessing to other people, whether they recognize it or not. So the ark then remains there. And in verse, uh, chapter 14, uh, we see that David builds a house uh, for himself. He has a family. In verses 8 through 12, he has victory over the Philistines, round one. And then in verses 13 through 17, he's victorious over the Philistines again, round two. And it wasn't because David was such a great military expert that he had the victory. Read the text carefully. You will see in both of those occasions, David sought the Lord, what am I to do? And you will also notice that David fully obeyed what God had said to do. Even if it required waiting. Who was it recently that we heard about that had a problem with waiting? On God. And what was the end result of that? See, David's heart was so attuned to God that even though he had failed with the transporting of this ark, he still wanted to seek God and know God and serve God and obey God and walk with God. That was his heart. David's dependence was upon God and waited for him for instructions. And when God gave him the directions, when he was to hear the sound of the marching at the tops of the trees, then he was to act. David fully obeyed. And, and David was exemplifying what James says in James chapter 1 to believing people even today when James says this, 
James 1.25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And God wants me and he wants you out of a heart that's fully surrendered to him to be obedient to him in our lives, to do what he says in his word. And David did that. But you see, worship is not only what we as believers do when we gather publicly, but also how each of us lives privately day by day. Because worship is a lifestyle. It is a heart response to God. And we see that David, by his obedience to God, came under the the blessing of God uh, in his personal life as well. But David wasn't content that that ark remain away from him because, again, it represented the very presence of God, the throne of God, and he wanted God to be as close to him as possible. It's kind of interesting that the scripture says, draw near to God, and what? The response is, he will draw near to you. And so David, in chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, plans to bring the ark of God again to Jerusalem a second time, this time the right way. See, in verses 11 through 15, only the Levites were permitted to carry the ark of God using poles that were put through the the ark. There were rings on it that they carried it on their shoulders. They they bore it on their shoulders. We've probably seen in in movies or in pictures that that years ago that that monarchs were carried by by individuals on their shoulders where they sat on a a throne and there were poles through that that throne and they got carried. This is almost a picture of God being carried by these Levites, the only people who were allowed to carry the ark, but no one was ever allowed to touch it. And I find it interesting that in verse 13, as these plans are being made to move the ark again, We read these words. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring up the ark the first time that the Lord our God broke out against us. You might say to yourself, well, David, you should have said something. You're kind of pushing the blame off on the Levites. But notice the next phrase. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. And David owns this. He acknowledges his failure at this part as well. He doesn't just say it's their fault. They should have known better. No, we should have known better. And then he commands them then to carry the ark as prescribed by uh, the law of God. So they once again have a, a celebration service that is planned. And you can look at verses 16 and following to to see that there were individuals that were appointed to celebrate. The Lord told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers to sing joyful songs accompanied by musical instruments and lyres and harps and cymbals. You know, we should use every instrument that we have available and are gifted to use to celebrate and praise the Lord. After all, the 150th Psalm says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We're to use them all to the praise and glory of God. (laughs) They were blowing trumpets here. 
in verse 24. I don't know if they sounded like that. They probably sounded a lot better than that. But this was a royal procession. It was a celebration of God. And notice it says, verse 25, So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units and the thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Even with rejoicing. Because God had helped the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant. Even seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. God was with them now in this because they were doing things his way. And his hand was upon them for good. And notice this. David wore a linen ephod, verse 27. An ephod was, a, was a, like a one-piece garment that come over the head, and it was like a, a long robe. And now the priests had ones that were very fancy and colorful and ornate, but the, the Levites all probably wore white linen robes. And David was in this, this white uh, linen robe and, and was joining in. And we're told here, so all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of the ram's horns and the trumpets, with cymbals, and with the playing of lyres, uh, and with uh, harps. And as the Ark of the Covenant was entering the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from the window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. Verse 16, they had a worship band. Verse 29 and following, it included such enthusiastic worship that David was dancing. I wonder what that looked like. We were getting ready for the, from, as I was getting ready to come up to the platform here, I don't know why this, this scene came to my mind from an old TV show called Happy Days. Remember that? There was, a, there was one scene one time, and this is a scene that came to my mind, where there was some kind of dance contest, and Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz, uh, had made some kind of bet with someone that, that he would be the winner of this contest, and it, and, uh, it happened that he kind of, kind of uh, uh, got too tired at the end and lost, and the, the result was he was to have his head shaved. And as they were wheeling him out from where this contest was taking place, he stopped and he got up off of the little cart that they were wheeling him out on and he started to dance. And if you've seen that, if you go and Google that scene, you'll see he's dancing exuberantly with his entire person. And I wonder if that's the way David's worship of God was in expressing his worship of God. See, David's worship if, if that's to be an indicator of his heart for God, it was sincere. It was authentic. It was genuine. It was real. It wasn't for show. It wasn't a performance. And how sad it is that in some contexts, some, not all, it almost seems like you go to a worship service and it's a performance. When the attention is not on the Lord, it's on those who are on the platform. Or even on those who are in the crowd. I remember one time in, well, way back, at, uh, I wasn't a pastor yet, still a new Christian in Bible college. There's a couple that came into our church. In fact, it was the parents of uh, uh, one of my classmates at Bible college. And they were more expressive in their worship. And I can remember 
uh, both the, the, the husband and wife both at one point raising their hands during the, the worship time. And they did that because that's the way they worship God. And I can remember I was sitting behind them in the pew and I, I saw people that were behind them. I was, I was back. And, but the people that were behind them looked, started going like this. Why would that be out of place for the people of God? See, David's worship, though, was sincere. And this couple was sincere. They weren't trying to show off in the context of where people don't raise their hands. That's just where it comes from the heart. And in fact, the next point is this. His worship was wholehearted. It was passionate. He was demonstrating by his actions and in his praise of God that he was loving the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. Huh. It was also expressive. Now I know that naturally speaking, a lot of us probably aren't expressive. Maybe that's our personality. But you know, God wants us to just give ourselves fully to him so that if he moves you to raise your hands or to say amen, you do it. Because you're responding to God. But you know, his worship was also humble. He was wearing this linen ephod. He was just like all the other Levites who were there to worship God. He wasn't wearing his kingly robes. He wasn't wearing his crown that was glistening. He wasn't wearing gold and jewelry and all that stuff and saying, look at me, I'm the king, I'm the king, I'm the king. It was humble. He was just like everybody else. He was just a participant. There was only one who was the recipient of that, who was the audience, and that was God himself. You see, David realized that. But you know, worship is also a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. And we see that in David's writings. In fact, his humility is seen not just in his worship that was public, but it was also seen in his, in his humility in private where David was willing to accept the correction of ones who had pointed out his failure before God. Psalm 141, verse 5 says, Let the righteous smite me in kindness, and may I receive it. And twice Nathan the prophet had to come to David and said, David, you've done wrong. And David's humble response was, I've sinned and sought to repent before the Lord. And his worship also flowed from his walk with God. And was seen in his relationship, not only to God, but with others uh, as well. For the sake of time, I will just encourage you to read Psalm 27 when you have opportunity. David declares there his faith and confidence in God. He, like everybody else, faced troubles. His desire was to see God at work and then had a determination to seek him and follow him no matter what. And he also had a confident hope that God would respond to him, not, also, not only in the present circumstances, but also in his future. So let me ask you here this morning, how is your heart responding to the Lord Jesus Christ today? Are you and I 
wholeheartedly seeking Him and serving Him. God calls all of His people to love Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And when I obey Him, I'm really showing my love for God. David exemplified this. In light of this, maybe uh, today is a day that you would need a time of prayer before the Lord because you realize that your heart is not fully given to Him. I would exhort you to acknowledge that shortcoming to repent of any sin that the Lord may point out and to accept the correction in those areas where you and I fall short. And may your prayer, your genuine prayer, be to ask God to make you a man, a woman, a person after his own heart. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for the example of David's life. There's much that you have recorded in your word concerning him. And the things that were written in earlier times were written for our instruction so that we, through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, might have hope. We may look at a person like David and we say, well, I'm far from that. We may even acknowledge I'm not like that at all. But Lord, we come to you humbly and in faith. And we ask you, O oh God, to, to change our hearts. To forgive us our sins through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, that we might be cleansed and forgiven and given a new heart and new life. And also given your Holy Spirit, to live out a heart that's surrendered to God. So once again, Father, may we as your believing people and those who are in the hearing of this word who have yet to come, may we turn to you in faith and say, O oh Lord, here's my life, here's my heart, make it fully thine. And may I, O oh Lord, live for you in the power of your Spirit, for Jesus' sake. For it's in his name that we pray and ask these things.